Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin a new series in the season of Lent we're calling 40, The Art of Letting Go. And to kick things off, Pastor Tim introduces us to the idea of a rule of life. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. Now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. There are a series of practices, uh, habits, that have been around for centuries. Um, These particular practices or habits. um, Bye, kids. Uh, These... High five myself. Uh, These uh, practices, these habits uh, have, to the people who have practiced them, to the people who have tried them, my guess is if you have one in your life, uh, they can't stop talking about them uh, because these practices and these habits, again, going back thousands of years, have changed how people lived. Uh, They brought joy to people who thought it was over. Uh, It has flipped marriages from the I don't know that we're going to make it stage to, I, I can't believe we get to spend our lives together. Uh, these practices have brought a level of depth and maturity. Um, they have helped people walk a half step slower in a world where everyone's sprinting. Um, these practices were practices that Jesus himself practiced. Uh, and many of them go back even prior to Jesus, but Jesus himself engaged them. And what I want to do over the next six weeks six weeks, uh, is I want to walk through these practices. They go by different names in different circles. Some refer to them as the spiritual disciplines. Uh, Some refer to them as, uh, so uh, the AANA refers to them as the 12 steps, kind of built largely around the same practices. Uh, What we're going to refer to them as is the rule of life, as a, or a rule of life. Um, And uh, over the next six weeks, I want to build some layers. And my hope is that uh, by the time we're done with our series, as we're walking our way to Easter uh, in this season that we call Lent in the Christian calendar, uh, my hope is that I can do my best to give you the tools to build it, to build what uh, the ancients referred to as a rule of life or spiritual disciplines. I want to give you the tools um, because if I'm fully transparent and honest, which I always hope to be, uh, these have absolutely changed my faith. Um, they're Um, they've allowed me to walk through some hard seasons with a level of stability and rootedness. Um, But it required work. Uh, We said this a couple weeks ago that the word disciple shares the same root as the word discipline. And uh, to be a disciple, uh, there are no accidental saints. It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, It it may begin with a a hand raised at some altar call or a prayer that you prayed, but that's not the end point. Uh, Jesus refers to faith as a walk, Uh, faith as a journey. Uh, And so we are consistently taking steps closer to him. And many of those look like discipline, which I know is exactly what you all want to hear. But discipline is my love language. Uh, Almost everything good that I've seen in my life has come because of uh, discipline and putting in uh, honest, good work. And so I want to walk you through some steps uh, this morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, New Testament book of Matthew chapter 4. And uh, if you're new with us, Welcome. Uh, we're, we're grateful that you're, uh, you're joining us. I hope you discover that, um, that this church is a safe place and a hospitable place and um, truly one of the most generous groups of people that I've ever met. Uh, I hope you discover that too. I know in one day it's, it's sometimes hard to do that, but I hope you um, get a chance to at least say hello to a few people and uh, see that for yourselves. 
Um, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 just to give you a little bit of a, an overview. Um, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the passage. And uh, this passage, by the way, is the story of Jesus being tempted or tested in the wilderness. Uh, of all of the stories that get attached to the Lent season, the season leading up to Easter, this is the story. So we're going to spend three weeks in this story, then three weeks uh, in the, the week, the, what we refer to as Holy Week, the week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so this morning we'll look at the first temptation, and then uh, we will do some context work, because... Uh, while the Bible is written for us, it wasn't originally written to us. There was a different audience, and to understand the power of the Scriptures, it's often really important that we understand how they would have received these words, what they would have seen in these words. So text, then we'll do some context work, and then we'll get really practical. But this is a very practical series. I want to do our best to give some language and some tools for the disciplines or the rule of life. And so we call that often here, we call that my text. What does this mean to me? You can't just jump or you shouldn't just jump from what does the text say to what should I do with it? Uh, without that context work, we can miss the point sometimes. So we'll do context uh, and then we'll move into my text. But let's start with Matthew chapter four. Uh, there are three temptations. We'll just read the first one this morning. Uh, Matthew four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Let me stop here. Uh, the story before this, Jesus is baptized. Uh, the heavens rip open. A dove comes down. God the Father says, that's my boy. I'm really proud of him. And uh, I'm expecting, following that story, Jesus is going to preach this amazing sermon or he's going to pull together his leadership team, his disciples. Uh, I'm expecting a miracle or a healing. Um, but what we get is like, a, a wait, what? Then Jesus was led by, the, the Spirit led Jesus to the desert to be tempted by Satan. The Spirit led him to be tempted by Satan. Wait, what? What do, we, what do we do with this? Um, hold that thought. We'll come back. Uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Some of you are hungry and you've not even fasted four hours. Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell the stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's stop there. Um, that's the, the first temptation. Now, a couple questions about that particular text. Just a small little moment. A couple questions. You got the wait what questions, right? Like, wait. The Spirit of God leads Jesus to be tempted by the devil. What do we do with that? Um, that's a, like, what do we do with that? Uh, that? There's those questions. But then you have, okay, why is he, uh, the text calls it the wilderness. What we know is that it's, this is, it takes place in the Judean wilderness. I promise you, if your mental map of what a wilderness is looks like a lot of trees, that's the wrong mental map. Uh, the Judean wilderness was desert. Uh, there's not much living at all in, in the Judean wilderness. So he's led to a desert. Why the desert? And then why this particular temptation? And, and here's a question. Why is Jesus fasting? Like why, why do this thing? Uh, after like the very first thing that Jesus will do to launch his public ministry, why is he fasting? Now, I know fasting has gotten really popular, um, lately, it's one of the spiritual disciplines that taken together make up what you may call, what we'll be referring to as a rule of life. It's not the only one. Uh, there, there are many, um, but for many, it's a cornerstone one. But to the, in our day and age, fasting has gotten really popular. You've probably uh, heard of intermittent fasting. Have you heard of that? 
It's quite popular, uh, intermittent fasting for many is you eat in a window and you don't eat in a window. So for many people, it's you eat in an eight-hour window. So you start at like noon and you, you quit at like eight or you start at 10 and you give up, at, you quit eating at six and then you fast the rest of the time. That's intermittent fasting. Health experts, longevity experts have caught up to the scriptures and they're now discovering, wow, this is a really healthy way to live. Uh, for many people, fasting is a way to stay healthy, to lose weight. Uh, we're told now through new science and new study that it's a way to increase lifespan. That's a longevity measure. So why is Jesus fasting? Probably not those reasons. Those are good reasons, um, but, but Jesus Prior, before Joe Rogan was talking about fasting, Jesus is fasting. And it's probably not so that he can have sick abs. It's probably not that. Uh, and I don't think Jesus is too worried about longevity. Uh, he keeps talking about he's going to die on a cross. He's probably not too worried about longevity. So why is Jesus fasting here? Uh, and fasting is one of the things that if you've been in or around church or even watched church on TV, um, you've heard Christians talk about fasting, especially in the season of Lent. You'll often hear people say things like, what are you giving up for Lent? And uh, if you've ever done one of those, what are you giving up for Lent challenges? Typically what we do is we look at something in our life that, okay, I, it's not that good for me. I'm going to get rid of it for, the, for Lent. I'll, I'll give 40 days and I'll just not do that thing. So I'll fast, I'll give up caffeine or I'll give up chocolate or social media or alcohol, something that's not good for me, I'm going to let go of it for Lent, uh, and I'll give that over to God. But Jesus isn't fasting from one of those things. Those things are kind of obvious, right? We're going to get rid of that because it's not really good for us. But food isn't bad. Uh, in fact, food is essential. You know this. Food is essential. We need food to survive. So why is Jesus giving up food, something he needs to survive, why go an extended period without food? And again, this is the very first thing Jesus will do to launch his public ministry. So all the questions, why is the devil leading, or the spirit leading Jesus to the desert to be tempted by the devil? Uh, to why the desert and why 40 days? And why is Jesus fasting? Those are the questions. Let's try to hunt them down and do some context work. Um, Jesus, uh, perhaps you can get an answer for what Jesus is doing in what he says. It's always important when you're doing the context work, if Jesus ever quotes something, your question should be, I wonder what he's quoting, and I wonder if the answer to some of my questions sit within the thing Jesus is quoting. It turns out that what Jesus is quoting here is somebody else's sermon. Now, we don't often think of it that way. Uh, Jesus is quoting what we refer to as the book of Deuteronomy, for us, it's a biblical book. It's one of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, it's referred to. Um, for us, the book of Deuteronomy is a book of the Bible. But for Jesus and his audience, uh, it was that. But it was also a sermon, first and foremost. Uh, this particular sermon was given by a man named Moses. He's been leading the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. And he's about to send them on their way into what the Bible refers to as the promised land or the land of Israel. And they're going to step into this whole new land. And Moses has one last chance before he passes the mantle to his disciple, a guy named Joshua, to give one last speech to his friends and his family and his community. And that speech or that sermon is what you have in your Bible as the book of Deuteronomy. Now, um, immediately, just knowing that uh, you see some things in the text. Jesus, by the way, will quote, he's going to be tempted three times, and he'll quote Deuteronomy three times. 
He's linking the two stories, it seems. Why 40 days? Well, the Israelites wandered 40 years. Why these three temptations? Well, if you read the book of Exodus, which we will in the fall, um, but if you read the book of Exodus, there are three temptations that the Israelites are tempted with in the desert. Three times they complain in the desert and grumble before God. And they just so happen to be the very same three things that the tempter here tempts Jesus with. So three times in the book of Exodus, the Israelites fail on a test. And three times Jesus will get right what they got wrong in a desert, just like they were in a desert. Immediately you can see that this seems like the story is trying to say, like Matthew is trying to say, okay, what our ancestors got wrong, Jesus is going to get right. But uh, it still raises the question of why does Jesus quote what he quotes and why fast? Um, let's look at what Jesus quotes because maybe we'll see some answers in that passage. Uh, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. By the way, if you think I preach long sermons, read Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's a long sermon. Uh, Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to read the whole thing because I love this is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. So uh, bear with me, but uh, I find it to be a really powerful uh, chapter in our Bible. Um, so let's begin in verse 1. Moses says to the Israelites, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. If you have your own Bible, you may want to underline the word so that there. The goal of everything we're going to read is so that you may live and increase and inherit the land. God's goal, it seems, according to Moses, is that the people would not get smaller, but they would live. They would increase. They would have a more abundant life, which is what Jesus says his goal is. John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And here's the part Jesus quotes. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Uh, manna is, literally it translates, what is it? It was a bread like it's actually described in your bible almost like cornflakes that showed up in the morning and they would eat the cornflakes and then they would disappear and after 40 years of cornflakes and quail they start complaining i know um feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the lord that's what jesus quotes your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now that word disciplines, that's hard to hear sometimes for us. Um, in Hebrew, the original language, the word is yasar. It could be interpreted as trained. The idea is it's parental language. It's if you see your son or your daughter and they're doing something that you know will hurt them someday. How do I train you? How do I steer you back on the right course? Because I know that the, the goal is that you might live and you might prosper. So uh, you following Moses' sermon so far? The desert is training ground. God is training you. Why? Let's keep reading. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience with him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out from the hills. When you are eaten and are satisfied, and are satisfied praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
and pause there. Um, I went through a really dark season in, in, uh, right after college, and uh, my uh, boss at the time, her name was Carla, uh, I was lamenting to her, and I, it felt hopeless, and she scribbled on a piece of paper, Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 10. And, uh, and so these words mean a lot to me, and I imagine if you hear nothing else, if you're finding yourself wandering a desert, um, just to hear the words that we serve a God who is trying to lead you into good land. That might be what you need this morning. Let's keep reading. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you on this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that desert, that thirsty and waterless land and it's with its venomous snakes and its scorpions and he brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well for you. Again, the goal is to live and increase. The goal is that it might go well. Follow follow the sermon. The desert is training ground. God is training us for something. Why? Because he wants us to remember when life is hard, he's building something in us so that when life is easy, We don't forget God. Let's keep reading. But you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms this covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you so, that you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. The desert is training ground for when life is easy because when life is easy, our temptation will be to forget God. And when we forget God, we may forget to call out to God. And when the trials come, we may find ourselves, our lives shrinking, uh, our lives decreasing. That's the so that. That's the goal. And again, the shocking part of the story is that Jesus chooses to fast. The Israelites don't choose to fast. The Israelites are in the desert because they were set free from slavery and they're following a cloud. And if you, we'll talk about this when we get to Exodus, it looks to them like the cloud is walking in circles because it is, because they don't understand that God needs to train something in them. Um, but Jesus chooses to go here. And Jesus seems to suggest to his disciples that fasting is not something you can choose to do or you cannot choose to do. If if we follow Jesus, Jesus will actually say in Matthew 6, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. He assumes his followers are just going to regularly do this. Okay, now let's figure out why. Why would Jesus say fasting is a good place to start? Why is this for many people a cornerstone habit? couple thoughts. Um, First, uh, and this is the revolutionary idea that I think you can find in fasting. This is absolutely, absolutely revolutionary. You can say no. You ever have a friend who's like, hey, can you help me out? You don't have to say yes, but would you please help me out? Uh, And you realize in that when they say you don't have to say yes, you actually don't have to say yes, but you feel the obligation because they're your friend and they wouldn't ask you if it wasn't hard. And so you find yourself saying yes and you say yes to a lot of things. You ever found yourself at an event 
that you didn't want to be at, but you said yes to it six months ago because it was six months away, and now you're here. Uh, do you remember 2020 March when the, the, the beginnings of the COVID pandemic? Remember the beginning days? Uh, I remember looking at my calendar in those first weeks and moving meetings. Do you remember when you moved meetings because you thought this will be over in like a week? Uh, I remember like dragging and moving like, hey, let's meet. We were going to meet on Monday. Let's meet next Monday. And then, okay, let's meet the following Monday. And then eventually you get to the spot where you're like, I'm not sure we know when this is going to be done. And so you cancel the meetings or you decline the meeting request. I had a moment uh, when like three weeks into COVID, or I remember opening up my calendar and it was, so my calendar, my, uh, is, it's all in yellow if it's work-related stuff. And if somebody, if I decline it, it goes, it's still yellow, but now it's a box that's not like, does this make sense to you? It's not like filled in with yellow, but you can still see where it used to be. And I remember looking at my calendar and it's like a parallel universe of what my life would have been had there been no pandemic. Uh, daddy-daughter dance. We we're going to go to dinner with those people on this night. We had, I had that meeting and that meeting and that meeting over here and all of those things that I had moved and I had moved and I had moved. And now like they're sitting on a calendar that this would have been my life and now this is my life. And it's a whole lot of, not a lot of things. Remember, remember these days? And I had a moment where I looked at my calendar with all the heartache of COVID and for many people, it was financially hard. It was personally hard. It was medically hard. But I had a moment for my life where I remember looking at my calendar and all of these things that were on my calendar were good things. Daddy-daughter dance, I was so looking forward to that. I was looking forward to dinner with those people. That birthday party, we were going to have so much fun. And yet, as I looked at my calendar, if I'm really honest, what I felt was relief. It was thing after 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 thing. Part of the art of fasting is you can say no when your soul is exhausted. Um, you can say no. They all were good things, but my calendar had gotten to the spot where I don't know where I would have found the energy for all of those things. Um, now, what happened in my life was COVID 2021-ish, it starts letting up, and all of a sudden now my calendar's filled up again. Anybody else in that spot? It's like, okay, that didn't last long. Remember promising yourself, okay, we're going to live different on the back end. It's more simple, more dinners with the family, more playtime with the kids. And now it's back to meeting, 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 meeting. Um, but we can say no. We can choose to do it. Now, Jesus gives up food. Why food? Um, the interesting thing with food is we need it. It's actually a necessity for life. You need to eat in order to survive. Uh, why would Jesus give up something? It's easy to give up. Well, it's not easy for some of you, but... For me, it would be easy to give up chocolate. Um, I don't need to live, I don't need, man does not live on chocolate alone or alcohol alone or video games alone or whatever you give up, but we do need food. Why give up food? I think a piece of it is we can go extended periods of time without thinking about God at all and be just fine. We feel it in our bodies when our bodies are malnourished because we're not eating. But for many of us, we can go for days. We, uh, embarrassingly, I can go for days and weeks without reading the Bible or praying and never think about what my soul must be feeling. 
First time I tried an extended fast, I was like 25, 26. I was a pastor of a church. And uh, it was my first Easter. And I thought it'd be a good idea that on this first Easter, what we would do is uh, we would challenge the whole church. Let's take Saturday off, no eating. So your last meal is Friday night. We're going to take the entire day on Saturday. And then we'll eat our first meal on Easter Sunday morning. And Easter Sunday morning, we'll take communion together. And then we'll have a big like, feast uh, for whoever wants to stick around. Many people had to take off for family things. But for whoever stuck around, we were going we to eat. Um, but we would break our fast with communion. And uh, during the service, Easter Sunday morning, you know, 25 years, I had this idea, okay, I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to say, so what did you think about during the fast? And people are going to say, oh, Jesus was so real to me and I just prayed all the time. And, uh, and what I, so I said, so what did you think about? And somebody shouted out, pizza. <laughs> I remember like, no. Uh, I was like, you were supposed to pray these big prayers for Jesus. And what we got was I would pay big money for a Big Mac. Um, and I just remember feeling like, okay, we, the whole church just missed the point. We all missed the point. And then I sat with that for a little bit, and uh, I realized that maybe thinking about food is the point. Maybe the pain is the point. Because we can go for extended periods of time um, because we know the food's coming. Like, we think about food when we're hungry. Maybe you're thinking about food now, but not really. Um, but when you fast, you think about food. I did Whole30 a few years ago. It was a terrible idea, but I did Whole30. And I had dreams of good food. I, would, I had dreams of pizza and cheeseburgers. Uh, you don't think about food when you have food ac- accessible to you. But when you're fasting, you think about food. And yet for many of us, we can go through long periods of time where we're not really praying. We're not really reading our Bible. We're not really and we don't even think about it. I think what Jesus is showing us here is that you can root your life in such a way that um, you can choose to go to the desert. You can choose to fast to prepare yourself for whenever the desert hits you. You know what to do here. You've been here before. You have a series of practices. You've been training for this. Second thought for why fast. Uh, um, And I think that has to do with training your soul for the hard seasons. Um, There's something about choosing to say no that it prepares you for when you don't have the option of choosing to say no, right? Like there's something about choosing to do something that's really hard to do so that when that thing comes and you don't have the choice anymore, it's an emergency. It's a phone call out of the blue. She told you she doesn't love you anymore. Those moments in life, uh, you choose. You're ready for this. You've been practicing Jesus has a, seems to have a vision for his life, where he wants his life to go. But he also seems to understand that without a plan, that vision's not going to take root. Uh, this gets me to the really practical. So uh, let's talk really practically, uh, what we call my text. My text. Um, the practice I want to introduce you to and that we'll be unpacking over the next six weeks is this idea of a rule of life. Now, I start with fasting This is just a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. It goes so much deeper than just this. Um, And uh, if you're with us over the last six weeks, by the way, we spent six weeks talking about Jesus and how he lived and the kind of friend he was and how we can show up with our families to be people like Jesus with our families. My hope is that you are as captivated by Jesus as I am. My sincere hope is that you read about Jesus and study Jesus and something in you wants that for your life, for your marriage, for your friendships. That's the vision. But 
So we spent six weeks on vision. Um, and this is really important. Without a plan to get there, that vision is beautiful. Um, but a vision without a plan is like a dream that likely will never see daylight. It's like the dream you forget as soon as you wake up. A vision without a plan is compelling, but it's not gonna get us to the spot we want. Uh, you're gonna hear me push the gas if you keep choosing to show up here. You're gonna hear me push the gas on this a lot because I want us to be deep. I want us to have the deep spiritual life. Jesus has a compelling vision. We need that. We all need a compelling vision for what we want of our lives, um, but we also need a plan for how to get there. You already know this because we live like this already, right? You have a dream for, let's imagine your dream vacation. You want to go, your dream vacation is I want to go somewhere warm while everyone else suffers here. I want to be somewhere warm and have a picture, you know, that picture where my feet are up and there's like a, like a body of water and blue. I want that picture. I want to be on that vacation. Okay, that's the dream. It's compelling. I want to be there too. But you need a plan, now, maybe you married somebody that does all the planning and, and good on you. Um, but if you didn't, you need a plan, right? You need, okay, where are you going to stay? How long are you going to be there? Are you staying at a resort, a hotel? You're going to, like, like what's, what's your plan? How much is it going to cost? How long do you have to save for that cost? Are you going to do any excursions while you're there? We should probably plan those now. Uh, are, is this going to be a family vacation? Are we bringing the kids? If we are bringing the kids, we got to make sure it's a, the right environment for our kids to be around. If we're not bringing the kids, who's taking care of the kids? What are we going to do with the dog? That's always the one we forget. What are we going to do with the dog? Right? You need a plan. If you have a vision, as compelling as a vision is without a plan, is just a dream that will likely never see daylight. You all have friends who are dreamers. They tell you all their big dreams, but they never have any actual plans to reach the dreams. They never happen. January 1st rolls around and um, you make a resolution or your friend made a resolution and they say, you know what, I'm going I'm to get healthy. I want to lose the weight. And their vision for their life is, oh, spring break's going to come and all my friends are going to be like, oh, have you been on a diet? I'm going to be that person. Yes, I have. Thanks for noticing. Like, that's the person you want to be. And you have this vision for your life. My first question is always, okay, what's the plan? It's not just going to happen. You're going to make it on willpower a week. Uh, best. What's your plan? Uh, choose. There's some that are better than others. Um, I won't get into it, but like, what is it? Like keto? Is it carnivore? Vegan? Are you going to cut out alcohol, sugar, get better sleep? Like, what's your plan? What's, what's your plan? Without a plan, as good as the vision is, it likely doesn't take place. We're going to be debt-free. Awesome. What's your plan? What's your plan? Do you have a budget? Do you know how to write a budget? At the end of every week, are you, do you have more in the black or in the red? Because if you're more in the red, even if your vision is to get out of debt, you're just going to get further into debt. Is there anything you can cut out of your spending? Oh, you subscribe to Netflix, Hulu, Paramore, Disney, Apple. We got some room to cut. Let's, let's start cutting on our budget. Let's, let's, find, let's, let's create a plan. Without a plan, uh, as good as the vision is, it's just probably not going to happen. We need a plan. If our vision is to look more like Jesus, deeply rooted, to increase, to live the abundant life, what is our plan to get there? Just because you say a prayer, do an altar call, say, Jesus, I'm in, I invite you into my heart. That's awesome. That's step one. But what's our plan? 
What's the plan for the walk? I love how um, the author Pete Scazzaro says it. He wrote a couple of really great books, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Church. Awesome books. But he says, nurturing a growing spirituality with depth in our present-day culture will require a thoughtful, conscientious, and intentional plan for our spiritual life. Notice that word plan. Uh, And then John Ortberg, who I respect deeply, uh, he says this, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You must arrange your days. He uses the word must. Apparently, John Ortberg thinks it doesn't just happen. Um, Now, it's not a new idea. The ancients referred to this idea of arranging your day as a rule of life. Uh, It's about forming new habits. Here's what I think is true. Uh, I, I believe that for many of us, we become our patterns, but we can choose to become our habits. For many of us, we become our patterns, right? The patterns you learned in middle school. For many of us, it starts in middle school. Uh, In middle school, you were shy and reserved. And over the years, those grooves wore deep. And now as an adult, you still find yourself shy and reserved. Or in middle school, you found that the way to get the room to look at you was if I was the the guy or the gal who told the joke, I'll be the class clown. And now, 30, 40 years later, you're still telling the inappropriate joke that you don't even want to tell, but you know that it'll get a... I can't believe you said that. Um, it's become a pattern. Uh, or in middle school, you were the uh, anxious person, and now the grooves run deep, and now it's, that anxiety is set deep. We often become our patterns, but we can choose to become our habits. Jesus seems to suggest this. We can choose to become our habits. You can create new habits that become new patterns uh, in your life. Um, to live like Jesus is difficult, but it is not impossible. Uh, and I love how John Mark Comer, you're going to hear me quote this book a lot because this book is the best book I've read in 10 years, hands down. Um, the book is called Practicing the Way. He says, contrary to what, may, uh, what many assume, Jesus did not invite people to convert to Christianity. He didn't even call people to become Christians. Keep reading. He invited people to apprentice under him into a whole new way of living, to be transformed. My thesis is simple. Transformation is possible if we are willing to arrange our lives around the practices, rhythms, and truths that Jesus himself did, which will open our lives to God's power to change. Said another way, we can be transformed if we are willing to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. Then, only then, can we be the people we ache to be and live the lives that we were destined for. This is what we want, isn't it? We want to change. We want to grow. We want to be people of substance. We want to live and increase. We want to be transformed. Um, Jesus doesn't have to fast. He chooses to. He gives himself a rule, a series of rules, so that when life gets hard, and it will get hard quick, we'll go there in a couple weeks, Jesus is ready for it. Um, now, I speak out of firsthand experience. That I, that the reason I'm so, I get passionate about this rule of life idea or spiritual disciplines, whatever you call it. Uh, years ago, um, early in my ministry, I discovered that I was burning out pretty quick, like 26, and I'm already burning out. That doesn't feel good. Uh, my adrenal glands felt like, felt like they were fried, and um, I bumped into this spiritual discipline of a Sabbath, and I gave myself intentional rules. Here's what you're going to do on Sabbath. You're not allowed to turn on your phone to do work. You're not allowed to turn on your computer to do work. You've got to spend this... T- like, I gave myself these firm rules. 
Now, do I still need those rules today? Not really. Uh, it's become such a habit for me that uh, Sabbath, I honestly think people are out of their minds to not celebrate a Sabbath. It's been so life-giving to me that it's just become a habit. Another example. Um, when my wife and I got first, were first married, we had both, we got married at 28 or 29, and uh, both of us were um, kind of living as uh, single people for about a decade outside of our parents' home, and we had all these rhythms for our lives already. So when we first got married, it kind of worked. I uh, value exercise and going to the gym. I metabolized my stress. And so uh, after work, I would go to the gym, and I'd come back home at 7 o'clock or so, and we would do dinner together. And then we had kids. And I realized this isn't going to work. I don't want to be the dad who's showing up for the first time at 7 o'clock at night. Now, at that time in my life, I would have told you that I was a night owl. I like staying up. I'm not a morning person at all. Um, but I made intentional decisions to create new habits. And in that season, I worked really hard to say, okay, I'm going to bed at this time, and I'm going to get up at this time. I'm not going to hit snooze. I will at least put my shoes on, start the car. So that's like half the battle. Uh, I, will, uh, I will set the coffee pot up the night before so I can hit brew uh, as soon as I wake up. I had all these rules that I would give, and I can promise you, do I have to think about those anymore? Do I have to keep those same rules anymore? It's, it's become a habit. I am a converted morning person. Uh, it's become a habit to me. Um, now, I say all that because I've also recognized uh, that I... Well, we all just went through a season, and um, I've been doing a lot of self-reflection, and uh, I have asked myself the question, are there any new patterns in my life that have become chaotic? Is there anything in my life where I need new rules? Because I don't like the trajectory of where this is going. And the answer to that is absolutely. Um, uh, actually, here's a couple questions that cut to the heart of the matter. Um, one of the things that I notice that I'm really uncomfortable about in my own life is the amount of time I am on my phone. It's a pretty unique problem, right? Um, I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, are you uncomfortable with it? Have you ever been uh, 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning? You know, you're getting your day ready for Sunday worship, and you get uh, Apple tells you how long you were on your phone average this week. Anybody else get that message and you feel really uncomfortable? Like, ah, really? That much time of my life I spent looking at my phone? Uh, have you ever uh, worried that your kids' foundational memories were going to be of you doing this while they talk to you? And you, you're talking to them, but you're giving your attention to this. Um, have, you, have you ever thought back nostalgically to a day and age before, for those of you who are around, before the cell phone and thought, man, I kind of miss those days. And yet at the same time thought, I don't know how I'd go without my phone nowadays. I start bumping into some of this stuff and realize I have, I'm deeply uncomfortable with this. Um, if you find yourself there, the, the next question is, are you uncomfortable enough to actually change? And do you have a plan for that? If the answer is no, that's okay. We're gonna, I'm gonna work with you to build it, uh, this rule of life, to navigate. For me right now, my questions are a lot. What is a rule of life to navigate the modern world that we live in? What's my rule of life for this modern world? Developing habits is not easy. Never is. Never is. Um, but it's good. Now, I'll, uh, so we'll, we'll build layer upon layer of this over six weeks. 
at the end, in the last week, I'll kind of, I'll share with you, honestly as I can, here's my rule of life that I'm trying to live in. Hold me accountable to this. Um, I'll give it as an example. It will not be yours. Well, most likely will not be yours. Um, no, we're all different. Your struggles are different than mine. You've, the, the things that you wrestle with are very different than the things I wrestle with. My hope is to give you the tools so that you can do some of this uh, to surrender more of your heart over to Jesus. Jesus fasted to prepare himself. What is the discipline that if you were to build this now will prepare you for whatever may come? Uh, last thing. Um, we have a bookmark we handed out. I know it's a big book, big bookmark. Um, we handed it out on the way in. Uh, it's just a list of a series of challenges. Use this how you want. This is simply uh, self-discovery. Uh, some of these are I mean, they're not bad or good things, most of them. It's just simply, okay, uh, life, has, life can become very normal, and let's try some weird things. And maybe what you discover is some of these are a lot harder than others to do. It might be a good sign that there's an area of your life that you want to offer up to God that you haven't fully surrendered. Uh, but use this how, how you want. Um, again, our goal, is, this is all feedback, by the way. Just take it as you will. Um, but our goal is to live in increase. Yeah, I know I'm beyond time. I'd be crying too. Let me wrap up with these words of Jesus. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? For what can anyone gain in exchange for their soul? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, uh, we want so badly to be people of substance and character and integrity. Lord, we want to be people who are deeply rooted. We see the political season on the horizon. We know what this is gonna do to our world. We don't wanna be those people. We do not wanna be those people who tear apart our families. We do not wanna be those people who stare at a screen terrified of what's going to happen. Lord, we want to be people who have practiced for this, who have trained for this. Whatever it is in each of our individual lives, Lord, um, that we know is we're just uncomfortable with it. Um, would, you, would you reveal it to us? And would you help us to build an actual plan to surrender that to you? We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said... For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.